Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Published Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. Hi, I'm Nolan. And this week we're discussing the movie Megamind, which is one of my favorite movies. Yes. It is a great show. We'll obviously get more into that. But first, a couple of updates. Um, We are not fully settled into our house. (laughs) No, we are not. (laughs) We're um, just working on odd projects here and there. It's been rather time-consuming, much more than the condo that was... A little bit smaller than our house. (laughs) Anyway, so I haven't gotten back to writing yet. I've been focusing a lot on um, trying to find the kitchen knives, which have eluded us so far. For a long time, we had three tiny little um, Pampered Chef pairing knives and then a little forever sharp tiny pairing knife. And we finally broke down and bought some Ikea knives while we were buying our desks. And we've been caulking and painting and stuff like that. So, and then still unpacking the office. And if you can't tell, we are still on the little digital recorder. We did find the big microphone. We have it in our possession. Yeah, we did find it. I think we even mentioned that last week. We just haven't had, we just, yeah. What what we really need to have happen is for Nolan to quit his job so that, you know, we're both unpacking all day long and then we have freedom. Yay. <laughs> and then can't pay the mortgage. So then we won't have a house. The business can pay the mortgage. And nothing else. okay we don't have food then (laughs) or electricity okay so anyway if the business didn't have business expenses which actually keep the business running it's frustrating anyway so our toddler is taking a nap right now and our five-year-old is playing with friends she's downstairs emptying the dishwasher oh she's downstairs emptying the dishwasher so we'll probably get interrupted a couple times but i'm going to go right into the Actually, we do the quote first, right? Don't we? Yep. Okay. Before then, that um, the schedule is we're going to watch the movie Red next, and then we're going to do Jurassic Park 3, which um, and then Sweet Home Alabama. I'm looking forward to these movies. movies. They're going to be a good ones. Our quote is, Well done is better than well said, by Benjamin Franklin. All right. And how, why did you pick that one? Uh, most people talk about doing stuff, but they don't actually do it. So even doing a bad job at something is better than not doing it in some cases especially when you're just starting out with something it's better to just suck it up and do it probably before you're ready yeah Um, you know you're never going to be ready enough and you learn so much after doing it one time i agree with that that actually ties in with one of my top three takeaways from megamind for authors that we'll discuss later um yeah so well done is better than well said and people can talk all they want but it's the you know, actually, this is another quote that I usually, I was going to give later, but Jim Kukrell, who does the Selmore Book Show, he's, he, he always says, um, doers get what they want. And what is, that? I can't remember, everyone else gets what they get. So if you're not working and not doing something, then you're not going to get what you want. You're not going to go where you need to go. Okay. So the tip for today's episode is going to be about beta readers. And I just kind of want you to, this tip is, is more geared to newer writers, but I will throw in a bit for more advanced writers as well. Okay, so half the people who beta read for you won't ever finish your book. And I'm I'm just wanting you to know it's going to be half to even up to 60%. They'll just never finish and you'll never hear back from them. And I still have author friends who hand out physical copies of their books. That gets really expensive really fast. So don't, I mean, do digital. Uh, give people a PDF. And, and then also once people 
respond, expect to want to strangle some of them and to, you know, steal others for all of your future books, basically. Some people will never get your style. They'll never get your books. And those are not the people you want to have beta reading for you. Even if they have valid suggestions, your beta readers need to help build you up as well. They shouldn't be tearing you down constantly. And so if somebody hates my books, but there's, they, I've actually had this before. I had a couple people who hated my books, but they liked helping me. And I, I just, you can't, you can't do that. You need to be working with people who actually like your books. Uh, expect a lot of them to say good book and not give any, um, any feedback. And, and you need to expect the feedback that you get to be bad for most people. A lot of beta readers need training and practice, and I'll talk about how to train them later. But for now, um, you'll need to learn how to give, they need to learn how to give feedback and to know what you're looking for. And then note, keep in mind that younger readers give shorter feedback and older readers are more thorough. So my old system for getting, for using beta readers, this is a tip for the part of the, for newer authors. I used to use three groups, groups where the first group would catch the bigger problems and the third group would catch fine stuff. And they needed to have good eyes to catch those things. And then the middle group fell in between. And I let the volunteers choose which group they wanted to be in. And I'd have the groups go separately. And so so I would write the book and then I would edit it a couple of times, two to three times. And then I would send it off to beta readers. And I'd have it go through three different groups of beta readers. And then I'd apply what they, you know, what I felt was applicable. And then I'd send it off to my editor. And with this system, I used a ton of beta readers and I watched for overall trends, ignoring outline comments, unless there was a, a problem, like an actual problem, you know, like somebody says, Hey, you forgot this thing here or something. And let's see. So you, you need to pay attention to those overall trends. And I, a lot of people use only just a very small handful of beta readers and that's fine depending on how more, how experienced you are. If you're brand new starting out, I recommend using a bunch of beta readers, especially if you don't have a lot of writing experience in general, because beta readers will help train you. And some people will say that's really bad for your writing career, but I disagree. I think that some people need more guidance than others. I was definitely one of those authors. I'd never had a, taken a creative writing class before. I was in college when I wrote my first fiction piece and I didn't ever have to write fiction anywhere else growing up or anything. It was always nonfiction and I was a paralegal and I wrote legal documents. And so, uh, I, my beta readers helped me learn what was good fiction and my current beta reader system. This is what, this is more for experienced authors. And that is, I do not use beta readers. I write my book. I edit it one, one revision where I'm heavy in and then I do an out loud revision where I fix things as a program is reading out loud to me. And then I send it straight to my editor and I've been following this for the last probably 10 books. And my, my point here is if you've been doing this for a while, don't doubt yourself. Um, beta readers will sometimes suggest you make changes that require huge edits that are pointless and needless. And you'll be like, Oh, well that's a good way to take it as well, but it doesn't make your book better. And so how do you know if you need beta readers? Well, are you reviewing well? And do you find yourself irritated with most feedback and not making changes that people are suggesting? Then you probably don't need beta readers. If you've written books and you've done this for a while and you feel confident in your structure and your prose and pacing, things like that, then cut out, cut out those beta readers. What I do now is I send it straight to my editor. And then when she gets it back to me, I have my street team, my arc team, our cast team, they read through for spare typos. And that's my system. I usually, I'll read through it again sometimes one more time. But 
a couple of typos before going to press is it's not worth the delay in writing, especially when huge books tend to have typos too. You know, I mean, I, re I read a lot of Jack Reacher and almost every, actually every single Jack Reacher book I've read has had at least two to three, even more typos in it. So don't expect your books to be perfect and don't be offended when you find out they aren't. And if you don't need beta readers, don't use them. So um, I'll give a couple more tips over the next two weeks on beta readers and especially how to train them and then how to organize them for those of you who opt to use them. So are we ready to get into the, the um, movie? We are. Uh, I am anyway. I am too. I love this movie. So I'm very excited about discussing it. All right. So what is your overall feeling about Megamind? Uh, it, it's a brilliant movie, honestly. Um, they did a lot of things right. Uh, even though it's a kid's movie, so you might think it lacks in complexity, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, I wish more adult movies took... So much their, pride in their, their work. Their plots and uh, details as seriously as an animated children's movie. Yeah, no He kidding. said with disdain. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know. I kind of went through a phase, and I'm still in that phase a little bit, where I don't watch kids' movies because I'm like, meh, you know, and you, Nolan's brother-in-law, Nicholas, who we've mentioned before... Brother. Nola's brother, my brother-in-law, we've mentioned <laughs> yeah. him before. He, and when we go up to Washington, we're going to make him do one of these episodes with us. He um, made us watch Megamind. I was quietly opposed and didn't say anything, but I was like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll watch a kid's movie. And I ended up being absolutely delighted in this movie. It is amazing. It's hilarious, but it's also well-crafted. So it's not just stupid jokes, but it's jokes that apply to the characters in the movie. And their motivations and their flaws. Yeah. And they're, they're um, what's the word? They're relatable. So mm -hmm. one character you can be like, oh, I know somebody does that. Or I've done that, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the characters. Okay. All right. So we've got an intro to Megamind versus an intro to Metro Man as adults. Let's discuss their intros. Megamind, they show right off the bat disdain, dislike, hatred. People are booing him. He boos them back. Metro Man's intro is everybody's loving him. They're crying. They're adoring him. They shoot off their guns and then they... <laughs> the cops. The cops yeah. <laughs> it's so awful. Gold stars. Gold stars. Well, that's when they're kids. I'm saying... But, I mean, he adults. still wears them. Oh, does he? If you look at his bunch of his costumes, they're a gold... Some, uh, later on, they're studs, but most of the time, like, if you... Sh they go to his uh, lair and it shows all the variations of his costumes, and a bunch of them have gold stars. Oh, geez. So he got gold stars as a child quite a bit, and Megamind did not. And, um, yeah. He, he was raised in a jail, and so he's a, a mastermind criminal. Yeah. He's and, a genius. Uh, genius. And, you know, Petro Man was a rich guy and goody two-shoes and gold stars and all that. Yeah. Everybody loved him. Everybody hated Megamind. But the thing is, one thing that I've realized while watching this, Me uh, Metro Man knows Megamind. He knows that Megamind isn't a bad guy, you know? Right. He calls him a little buddy, you know? And yeah. And he, he's, he's, there's like affection between the two of them. It's playful. Everything they're doing is a game. It's not like they hate each other, you know? Yeah. All right. So Megamind is a bad guy whose plans never work. And everyone knows it, including Minion. Yes. <laughs> Your plans never work, says says Roxanne, and, and Minion's like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, did you ever think we would win? Well, no, no never, not never, in a million never, years. Never. And Megamind glares at him. He's like, I mean, yes, I did think we would win. <laughs> He's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it, it, 
uh, Minion gives someone for Megamind to talk to, so he's not just monologuing to the, at the movie. Yeah, he's a good side character. He's funny, he screws things up. Yeah. Um, but he's not, like, way incompetent. No. So it's not, like, tiresome, or it's just like, oh, sorry. Like C-3PO? Yeah. Yeah, so we have also got Hal and Roxanne. Mm-hmm. Hal is the most narcissistic <laughs> person on the face of the planet. Creepy. Creepy. He's in love with Roxanne. I put love in air quotes. Oh, yeah, love. He's in, in, in infatuation slash lust with Roxanne. Hal is the camera guy, and Roxanne is a reporter. Yes, this is like a Superman spoof. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have a... Metro Man is a Superman analog. He uses all of Superman's powers. Mm-hmm. They even spoof on his uh, kryptonite. Oh, um, yes, the lead? Yeah, copper. Copper, that's what I meant. Yeah. Copper drains my copper powers. Drains my powers. Your, <laughs> your, your weakness, weakness is copper? <laughs> okay, so character growth. You've got a lot of comments on character growth, I think. Character growth. So uh, Metro Man, I want to say he, he has an epiphany. So we don't get to see things from his perspective too much during the movie. He, he kind of has like a, a flashback kind of thing that explains what happens to him. But we get to see Megamind. And uh, I, I guess I should talk about plot structure first. But, or the three acts. Mm-hmm. Because they relate to Megamind, who is our viewpoint character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, phase one. Megamind defeats Metro Man. Finally. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, air quotes defeats. Air quotes defeats. Spoiler alert. He doesn't. Um, <laughs> phase two. Mega Man creates Titan. So after Mega Man defeats Metro Man, he has nobody to fight with anymore. And, and he, he gets bored. He gets bored. Depressed. So he decides to create a new hero. Um, as somebody tells him, heroes, uh, Roxanne tells him, heroes aren't born, they're made. And that is actually the premise of the entire movie. Because... Well, Mega well Man. I think that's one of the premises for the entire movie. That is that is what happens in the movie, though. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that's ultimately, that's Mega Man's character arc. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and at the end, um, he de- he realizes that Titan, by the way, that's T-I-G-H-T-E-N. Yeah, that's how Titan, Titan. spells it. He's that's like, how what Titan. does Titan mean? <laughs> that's how Titan spells his name <laughs> instead yep. of T-I-T-A-N. Yes. Anyway, anyway Me- and then Mega Man has to end up defeating Titan and become the hero. So he's not born a hero. Mm-mm. He's made a hero. He makes himself a hero. Yeah. And that actually does kind of go along with what I noticed. The, the, the very first line, one of the very first lines we hear from somebody other than Megamind is, you are destined for, and his dad, that's his dad talking to him, and he shuts down the thing, and Megamind's like, I didn't quite catch that last part. And he refers back to that throughout the show. Like, it's, Destiny is huge for him. He's like, I'm destined to be a super villain. And, and, it's his perceived destiny. So basically, I feel like the, to me, the premise, well, I guess, I, I mean, I do agree with that, but the premise to me is you make your own destiny and you choose whether you are a villain or a hero. Yes. And he says that. He's like, you know, he, he actually literally says, you know, destiny is, you know, I chose a different destiny. Yes. Yeah. He, the greatness was his destiny mm-hmm. to be a great villain or a great hero. He just chose to be a hero at the end. Yep. So, you know, good three-part structure, and he has um, a character arc. Mm-hmm. It's a really, it's a good character All of them have and character And it, it's not arcs. abrupt. It, it's like, you know, he succeeds at his initial goal, realizes that was worse than before, and yeah. tries to fix it, and then changes. 
himself in the process. He he was innocent in the beginning, where he was constantly fighting Metro Man, constantly yes. fighting, and he's like, yes, I lost, I lost, I lost, and I won! And then mm. he's like, oh, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Any other character growth comments? Um, Roxanne. Mm-hmm. Roxanne hates Megamind, and then they get together at the end. Yay. Kind of. They do. Well, I have a comment about it. I'll give it right now. My comment on romance is, question mark. They kiss while he's pretending to be a human, and then she kisses him on the cheek at the end. But that's uh, it. He doesn't... Sad. <laughs> well, she got with him while he was human, but I'm... Yeah. If she was a real person, she'd have a really hard time Kissing adjusting from... Giant blue-headed guy. Yeah. So I'm like, they kind of get together, you know? Well, they at least become uh, not Haiti. Yeah. Yeah, close enough where they're hugging and he's holding her and she kisses him on the cheek and the cheek. Yeah, I mean it is a kids movie, so yeah, they're not. It's light on the romance, but if they had kissed on the lips like that one Superman show I watched, where Amy Adams and you mean Man of Steel, Henry Cavill kiss on the lips, and it feels like the most <laughs> forced, uh, uncharismatic kiss in the yes. history of cinema. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like, it was like, maybe, I, I assume this is like what it feels like when you watch a brother and sister make out. Oh, gross. Yeah. It's like, uh, no. Because <laughs> they were not into it. No, it was, yeah. Anyway, sorry, side comment there. Just one more thing that an animated children's movie has done better than a, <laughs> a mega blockbuster budget movie. Yeah, no kidding. You failures. They had a budget of, oh, let me think, I think it was something like 80 million and they ended up making 400 million their weekend that they released. It was DreamWorks' biggest movie that year. Oh, for Megamind? For Megamind. Wow, crazy. Yeah, huge, huge, huge. There you go. Have a good premise for a movie and then execute it. Yeah, no kidding. All right, character growth. Pretty much everyone has character growth. Like Hal goes from... You know, how it goes from being a creep, quiet creep to a loud creep back to a quiet creep. That is <laughs> that is growth, you know. He doesn't learn, but he does have an arc. I mean, an arc doesn't mean that you necessarily become Change better. as a different person. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because yeah. all of the things that you didn't like about his character are amplified once he has power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how he he's worse. like super self-centered and clueless. He's like, that was really awkward. You hugged him and not me. Yes. <laughs> And then when, and then he's like, is this a robbery? Because the lady across the hall has way better stuff. You know, they're, they're doing a fantastic job of showing this is not a good but, hero. You yes, know? showing, yes. All right. I'm having a party at my house. Uh, I don't want to be around a lot of people. Oh, oh it's, it's just, just you and me. That's the best part. It's just you and me. And I my, hired a photographer in case we wanted to. A wedding photographer. A wedding photographer. Yes. That's him talking to Roxanne. I will watch you like a dingo watching a human baby. It's a little creepy. Is that a little too much? Yeah, just a little too much. And, okay, so at the very end of the movie, Megamind says, I finally had a reason to win, you know, so, because he lost over and over and over again in the end. He's like, I finally had a reason to win because he was fighting for Roxanne. Mm -hmm. And then I love this at the end. He's, he's doing things the way Metro Man did things, you know, he's like cutting the ribbon. He's doing, doing the reveal of a huge statue of him. And he's like, put your hands in the air, just like Metro Man did. And then he's like, now hand over your wallets. <laughs> so he has to throw in his little side, you know? Yeah. Okay, so antagonist versus protagonist. I would say Mega Man and Metro Man, is, it's a play. It's a game to them. They're playing antagonist. And Metro Man even carries a mic around with him as he's fighting Me Metro, you know, Mega Man. He's like, oh no, Roxanne. <laughs> yes. You've kidnapped her, you know? So it's not, it's a game. It's all a game. And then we find out who the real antagonist is when Mega Man creates him. 
Mega Mind. Mega Mind. <laughs> That's fine. I wrote Mega Man like four times on here. <laughs> it got very confusing in my notes. I'm like, MM. Nope, I can't abbreviate to, to MM because Mega Mind Met- Metro Man. All right. Do you have any comments on, let's see, plot versus character, setting, story? I mean, it's a, it's a superhero spoof movie, right? Yeah. They, they play on the superhero tropes. Mm-hmm. And they hold to their tropes through the movie, like, um, and they're they're kind of like you know, he's the cliche supervillain smart guy, right? And he has some some personality quirks that that actually like you think are entertaining, but actually affect the plot, like how he pronounces things, like how he mispronounces certain words, and that's how when he's in disguise, Hal, who isn't very smart, can mm-hmm. tell that it's actually Mega Mind. Mm-hmm. And that happens at the end of the movie, but the whole movie, he's like, "Olo," instead of "hello." Olo, no, it's "hello, sir." Oh, oh yeah. hello. Did I do it right? <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. So you just think it's like just a personality quirk, but his personality quirks affect things. Um, he likes to make big entrances, and he likes theatricality. Yeah. And he uses that to trick Hal into attacking. Anyway, he uses that to his advantage. Yeah. You think it's just ego, but he actually does end up using it for a purpose. Yeah. So it wasn't yes. pointless. Yep. It wasn't just like him being showy for no reason. He, they actually made it work in a plot point. Yep. Agreed. So him pronouncing pretty much every important word. I loved it. He pronounces met, uh, Metro City as Metrocity. And at the beginning of the movie, he's like calling it Metrocity. Metro- not until we actually meet Metro Man as an adult do we realize it's Metro City, not Metrocity. You know? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a nice little touch because we're like, Metrocity, Metrocity. Oh, Metro City. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, so comedy, he would win some. I would almost win some. I would almost win others. This this movie has some of the best wit I've ever... It's like there's wit in every single line almost. You know, comedy and intelligence in almost every single line. So if you want to study dialogue, watch this movie and take note of how they tweak natural settings for comedy purposes. Uh, my, one of my favorite lines. Uh, he's talking on the... He's pretending to be someone else and he's talking on the phone to Roxanne and... He's yelling mm-hmm. at somebody at Minion or something. He's like, yes. oh, who yes. are you yelling at? And he's like, oh, I was just yelling at my mother's urn. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, so, so off the wall. Off, Yeah, it's awesome. No, I do. I love this movie. But I mean, you know, Metro Man, let's talk about him. Um, you know, Gold Stars, right? He's always seeking approval. Mm-hmm. He always used to get approval for everything he did. Yeah, Metro Man did? Yeah, yeah. He wears white. He walks on water. Yeah, his, literally. His, literally. <laughs> His uh, his uniform has gold stars on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his art, he realizes that he's not really fulfilled seeking other people's approval. Yeah, he wants to do things for himself. Yeah, he he's doesn't He's never wanna... done them for himself. And he does that right at the beginning of the movie. He says that. He's like, my, my greatest honor is helping you, the helpless people of Metro City. And you can kind of <laughs> tell that. serving you the help. Yes, exactly. You can kind of tell we he's like. I love you, Metro Man, and I love you, random citizen. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they're, you know, they're not really people to him you know no yeah they're just a job that he's tired of doing yeah and he he can't he doesn't want to leave without replacing that because he does care about them yeah so you know that's why he's glad megamind takes the job because he's like he fakes his own death but then he's glad megamind takes over He's like it's time for there's a yin to every yang you need to go and find yourself basically right so he goes to be music man so he can keep his logo (laughs) so awesome (laughs) Because of what? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, encourages Megamind to become the new hero. Yeah, exactly. Like, gives him permission, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, and then Megamind actually walks out wearing his cape. Yes. 
Um, okay, so, and that's great. That's good foreshadowing because he yes. ends up using, no, 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 actually that's like, he ends up, mind. he ends up impersonating him. Yeah. Um, and he copies his powers. Yeah. And he ends up getting his butt kicked that way. And it's not until he uses his own skills that he defeats Titan. Yeah. So he, he, you know, he was, you know, I guess I just explained it, but you know, it wasn't until he was true to his, himself and found his own way to be a hero that he became the hero. Yeah. Just copying Mega, um, Metro Man didn't work. So here's my question for you. What's the difference between a villain and a supervillain? Presentation. <laughs> Presentation! <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Prot structure. We've already talked about rom romance. Um, I have a comment on the tone, the mood, technical aspects of the show. It's bright and cheerful. And it's a kid's movie, yes, but the way they portrayed it was to be bright and cheerful. Like Megamind, his personality is bright and cheerful, you know? And so they're... they're it's not a dark. No, he tries. Movie. He tries to be. He puts lots of spikes on things. He has a definite style of black and blue, like lightning bolt things with spikes, spikes on and studs and things like that. Yeah. And but you know he's trying to be a bad guy, but yeah. all his robots have like all his tech that he makes pretty much. They're spider like and creepy. Yeah, but like it's a puppy dog basically. Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> Who's a bad? Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? No biting. <laughs> uh, let's see. I did have a comment on. Um, oh yeah, so originally this was supposed to be a live action film and they oh, changed it to animation. How do you think, I mean, how do you think it would have done as live action? I have a difficult time thinking about how they would cast that and do it. It would be really expensive. The makeup and everything, yeah. Megamind's makeup. I mean, um, Will Ferrell does Megamind's voice and Brad Pitt does... Metro Man. Metro Man's. So Tina I mean, Fey is Roxanne. They, they could just straight up cast, I guess, all three main people because they can act and kind of look the part anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, like live action would have been more expensive. Yes. It, I think they could have pulled it off, but I think that the, the com computer animation, it has more of a bright and cheerful feel that they wouldn't have been able to pull off as well if it had been full CGI and yeah, I think live action. Stylistically, it's, it fits the tone of the movie better to be animated Yeah, and be more stylized. Yep. Yeah. And it, I don't know. It's. To tie that back to writing, it's, you know, some books are written in present tense and first person. I mean, it depends on what are you trying to achieve with your writing style. You know, you need to pick like third person or first person for a reason. Don't just do it because it's what you've always done or because it's what, you know, what you feel is, is best. You need to do it what's, for what's best for the story to tell the best story you can tell. I have no comments on conflicts or pacing, honestly. I just... Most of my comments were on. Uh, well, they do. They do a, um, a really good job making sure that there's. I mean, the two main tones in this movie are action comedy. Yeah. Right. So they make sure they have enough an action comedy plus enough downbeats mm -hmm. to show contrast. Yes. So yeah. like you know, um, he's impersonating a, a human guy. I forget his name. Bernard. Doesn't matter. Bernard. And, and he's dating uh, Roxanne, and then. He, you know, she finds out it's him and then dump, you know, dumps him and then it's raining and every, you know, kind of cliche, but that's fine because, yeah. you know, and then just stuff like that. And he, he has tri-fail cycles. He doesn't succeed. Several tri-fail cycles. He's, he fails a lot, but his success at the end doesn't feel implausible. It doesn't no. feel out of reach. No, no. He actually, like you said, he uses everything that we already know about to win. So there's no deus ex machina. It's all stuff that we recognize. Yep, he uh, like the the end. It's brilliant because he uses like the basic tools that he starts the movie with, like his dehydration gun that he made when he was a kid. Yeah, he always carries with him. Yeah, like that's how he wins. 
Yeah. It's not some weird like thing that he makes up in like 10 seconds in his garage that's like some mega death cannon or something. No. You know what I mean? No. Like sometimes they do. They're like, I know if I take these two unrelated parts and I can build this weapon yeah. in five minutes. No, you can't. That's that's really good storytelling right there. You know, like build it in through your story and it does it won't seem implausible at the end. Yeah. I Even mean, if it's... you're doing magic, which they do. They, they have magic and science fiction and, you know. Yep. They establish the rules early on. And they seamlessly use them through the whole movie. Yep. The technology, their personalities, the, the setting, the locate, you know, like the locations, like the big building that he, Hal throws at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The water fountain, where he parks his car matters. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Remember yeah. that night I dumped you? <laughs> I did look back. <laughs> right. Oh, I get it. You know. Yep. I mean, all of that seamlessly fits together to make a good story. Yeah. Please do this more often, people. <laughs> no kidding. Okay, so for foreshadowing, we've got one a couple notes I have on, on foreshadowing and and research of just really fast. The research is spot on in this movie. They said like Nolan said they set up the rules and they follow it all the way through. They don't make any there's no implausible moments where I like where I'm like, that's implausible, you know, because they've already set up the rules and they're following them. Um but foreshadowing, we've got Roxanne, who found her way into Megamind's hideout, and this is before... Um, they're working together. Yeah, this is before they're working together, and before she's quote-unquote dating him. And she's... And Hal, the cameraman, is looking for Roxanne, and we show... They show Hal looking for Roxanne right when the gun goes off that's going to create a superhero. So we know that it's probably going to hit Hal, you know, because it's like mm-hmm. the foreshadowing is there, you know. The gun goes off, and... The little bullet enters a enters a pipe that leads right straight into Hal's face. Nose. Nose specifically. And then we've also got a little bit of false foreshadowing. And I think this was this is not false as in they made a mistake. This is false as in they purposefully did this. Uh, at the end when Hal's like terrorizing the city, uh, we have a brief glimpse of Metro Man looking guilty, like he's going to change his mind and come back from and and unfake his death. And he does, but he doesn't, you know? Right, because then Meg, um, Megamind impersonates him. And we're like, the viewers like, oh, he did come back. But no, he didn't. He Right, and, and uh, yeah, exactly. And, he, you know, he makes a suit that copies um, Metro Man's powers. And then it's a hologram that makes him look like him. And then that go, that that com- um, breaks at the wrong time or whatever. Or he turns it off or whatever. I forget. She okay. turns it off. Roxanne does. Oh, yeah. And, um... It is, it is Metro Man descending from the heavens yes. with a chorus of angels. <laughs> yes. So bad and hilarious. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's happened more than once during the movie as well. Yeah. Like, the, his hologram watch, they use it, I mean, and it's turned off at bad times. Yes. You know, when it's inconvenient for him or, you know, he's manually turned off. So it's something they've established. They've done it, like, two or three times before this point. Yeah, exactly. So then when it happens at the end, you believe it. Okay, so let's see. Um, do you have any comments on the com- climax or resolution? Epilogue slash resolution. No, I mean uh, they just used their tools very well. I mean, like is it like we talked about? They they integrated the setting, the characters. Um, what else am I say? Their their personalities and like the 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 gadgets that Megamind uses consistently throughout the movie mm-hmm. yeah. to achieve his goal in a plausible way in the only time he's ever won in his life, right? Because they show him fail, 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 fail. Yeah, fail. even his his end of third act win is a fail, technically, because he didn't actually defeat Metro Man. Right. 
Okay, so just a comment on the opening. It's they set the stage for the the rivalry and, and the characters. They do um, every scene in this movie pushes things forward very nicely. So you know what to expect based on what you watch at the very beginning of the show. And I had that under number 22, which should have been number one <laughs> if we were going to go in order. And let's see, should I give my trivia right now? If you want. Okay, so Guillermo del Toro, he was signed on three weeks before the film was completed and he, as a creative consultant, and he went through and excited eyes, excited eyes did. Uh -huh. <laughs> he increased the excitement for the show quite a bit. And as I already said, it was supposed to be live action, originally supposed to be live action. They changed it to animation, which was a good change. And a little bit of a trivia that I noticed that I didn't read in, on IMDb. When Megamind wins, Hal, the cameraman, is wearing a shirt that says Game Over. Yes. You noticed that too? Yep. Yeah. Game Over. He's wearing it before, I think. And then he actually says Game Over to oh, Megamind yeah. as well. Yeah, that's right. Game Over. Um, let's see. This is Will Ferrell and Tina Fey's biggest grossing film. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? A kid's movie. And Will Ferrell even, is It's even better actor. than the Lego movie? Um, you I know, guess, uh, no, he wasn't paid as, I mean, Lego movie was, did it make, I mean, he may have been paid more for Megamind, but yeah, did Lego I, movie make more money? I don't know, actually. I, I wouldn't count Mega Mega uh, Will, Lego Man, Le no, Lego movie, <laughs> as being his movie. That's more it Chris is, Pratt. I mean, he's, That's true. He's, he's pretty big in it. He's, he's president business. I mean, good sakes. And then he appears live in the movie. Let's see, Lego, I'm looking it up right now, Lego movie make. I'm looking it up right now because I want to know. Watch Google in real time. Oh, nope, it did. The Lego movie grossed 257 million for, okay, nope, actually, hold on, maybe, okay, so Megamind grossed 400 million and Lego movie did 469, so. Boom. So that, that I would have to say that that, that trivia on IMDb was false. It was probably true at the time. But... It was. And it's still, that's still really big because Will Ferrell had been in how many movies before Megamind, you Quite know? a few. I mean, yeah. Certainly not his first movie, but that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. Um, okay, so one funny bit of, of, um, of trivia here. In Michigan, a theater accidentally played Saw 3D instead of Megamind. Oh, wow. Not even close. <laughs> no. Terrorizing innocent children. <laughs> okay, so I have another piece of... Oh, yeah. So 100,000 storyboards were created for the film. Wow. 100,000. What exactly is a storyboard? Um, just how they plan out the scenes. So, so like one they... storyboard is what in... One, you know, like every time they switch a camera angle. Yeah. That's usually one storyboard picture. Mm-hmm. Right. You're asking me. No, I'm telling you. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense though? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, you know, they show the picture of the building and then like how, you know, flying at it and then they show the top view with him. Like, oh, that's breaking. right. Okay. That would, yeah. Like, so each one of those would be one. So that's a lot. hundred thousand. And they, they usually indicate like a motion, like how, what direction he's flying in or something like that. But it's not a lot. It, think of it like a comic book of the movie. Mm-hmm. Is basically what it is. And they do that to set up their camera shots. And they, they do them a lot. Well, in any movie, but especially in animated movies. Because their cameras can be anywhere. So they really need, can, need to think about... They don't have the limitations of a real camera. No. Mm -mm. 
All right, I say we do the top three takeaways for authors. We're only at 30 minutes. Oh, no, we're at 36 minutes, so. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's fine. It's okay if we go to 40 minutes. That was what our plan was originally anyway. <laughs> top three takeaways for authors. What are yours? Okay. Give characters story arcs. <laughs> Would you like to um, expound on that? Uh, like, give them a plausible starting point and then have them end up learning something or having the things that happen in the movie affect them in some way. Uh, TV episodes don't do this generally. Yeah, yeah. They do over like seasons, but not over episodes. Usually the person starts and ends the same at the end of the episode. But um, in a in a movie, in a book, mm -hmm. this is a powerful tool. Yeah. <laughs> Consider using it. Yeah, and it also, if you struggle with writing longer, long books, if you are constantly producing books that aren't long enough, then brainstorming character arcs for the, your main characters is a good idea. Especially if they have multiple ones. And if you struggle with writing books that are too long, eliminate a few character plots, character arcs, you know? Yeah. So if you're always, you're like, oh, my books are too long, then simplify. They make characters interesting, okay? Yeah, no, character, they do. They make characters very, very interesting. And they're really, this is, this is really good for like science fiction, especially in epic fantasy. You want to have a lot of character arcs. When they're like a 10 book series of 150,000 words each, the character at the beginning should feel kind of different at the end. They usually grow... <laughs> Are you being slightly sarcastic? I am being extremely sarcastic, but also <laughs> deadly serious. Uh, if nothing else, they usually grow in power. I mean, obviously, you know, like Luke Skywalker, the beginning of episode four is different than episode six when he becomes a Jedi. Yeah. That power arc, you know, he has to try and fail, you know, with Yoda. I mean, he goes through a lot to get there. Exactly. It makes it interesting once he can finally do stuff because he had to, you know, he had to bust his chops to get there. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Ray is not interesting. Okay, Nolan. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's grinning right I now. Had to, I had to put my dig in there. <laughs> uh, well, Ray's only had one movie. No, two. We haven't watched two, so she's, she's only having. had one to us. She's I, I well. Whatever. I mean, Luke Skywalker didn't grow all that much in the fourth first movie, fourth episode. No, he did. But, and he did, though. He he didn't even really know what the freaking force was to actually trusting. Ben. Well, neither did Ray. Yeah, but then she beats uh, like, like a dude that's been draining his whole life. With a lightsaber, and she's yeah. never even held one. Yeah. So there. Okay, your second top takeaway for Granted, he did get shot by a Jewish bookcaster first. But still. You remember this movie so much more than I do. It's because it scarred me. <laughs> Oh dear. It scarred my heart. <laughs> scarred your heart. My very being. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love you. <laughs> anyway, top two, your second take. Top away. two, uh, consistency. The characters behave like themselves the whole time. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I've seen a movie or uh, a TV show where they like take like a 90 degree or 180 whatever a sharp uh direction change uh, yeah. i guess they feel like their ratings aren't good enough and they need to mix things up uh, but it doesn't make sense in the story when you're watching like episode to episode there wasn't anything that happened uh, and they don't do like a flashback <laughs> to explain why their character had like this sudden freak out yeah um so you just a note I have an on example, that like I remember which season of angel that was but they took like a really dark turn all of a sudden and everybody just started yelling at each other. Oh, yes. I and then their ratings went down because they're like, what the heck's going on with these characters? It's not fun anymore. Well, I mean, people in real life do things like that. You know, people re behave 
you know, One, erotic, er, erotically. Er, erotically, <laughs> they occasionally do behave erotically. <laughs> Errat- is it erratically? Erratically. Yes. <laughs> Stop it. What? He's, he's making fun of Thank me. Thank goodness there's not a camera. <laughs> Why? Because of your... We're sp- behaving erotically now, apparently. <laughs> Are we? Oh, jeez. Anyway, so people... <laughs> Stop it. He's grinning at me. People behave... Cra- that people are stupid in real life, but fiction can't mimic real life exactly. Otherwise, it doesn't feel believable. You have to be able to stories aren't real life. <laughs> no, they're not. You have to you have to thread these things in. You know, you can't just have your character be manic without the but explanation. Chances are, somebody just had a bad day, and you didn't get to see their backstory for why they're acting that way in real life. In real life. In real life, exactly. You can't do that in a book. No, not really. You have to. You have to make things. Everything needs to be there for a purpose and a reason. Most everything. Most I mean. everything. Let's see, number three. And, I mean, at least write purposefully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Don't don't be accidental. Like sometimes there are pointless details, but don't yeah don't get bogged down in pointless details. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, my point, my third point. Uh, have fun with it, just like uh, the first rule of weapons training. <laughs> from the examiner, which <laughs> from if you haven't watched the TV show Spy. The first what is the first rule of weapons training? Safety? No. <laughs> Have fun with it. No, I don't I don't think that's the first rule of weapons training. No. <laughs> you have to go watch Spy. It's a funny TV show. British. Yes. Okay, so my top 3. Okay, so number 1, don't ignore books and stories for kids. Some of the best storytelling can be found in them. Yeah, I think they uh, I think they make adult stuff to like they make it its tone adult but not the quality of the writing. Yeah. They're like, oh, there's lots of blood and violence. It's an adult movie, but... Yeah, yeah but it's written poorly and but it's not cheaply. Like, yeah, it's not like it has a complex character or story, uh, you know, plot points that make it complex and you need to be an adult to understand the context or the flow of the movie and like, yeah. you need to be sophisticated in order to understand what's happening. Exactly. And I mean, a lot of people, you know, they look down on reading books like, I don't know, Harry Potter, she's a good storyteller, you know? Well, the reason why is because she told a friggin' story and <laughs> this is, this is why it's like some middle grade movies are and why so stuff did so good is because they bothered to tell a real story and not rely on cheap, cheap, cheap uh, cheap tricks and rating, um, you know, rated R just so they can have, um, nudity and violence in it that would normally be in there and forget to tell an actual story about the nudity and violence that's going on and make you care about the people that just got shot in the head or naked. Yeah, agreed. They actually had characters and had a setting and spent time developing them mm-hmm, and how mm-hmm. they interacted with each other. And they had a history, a very broad history. Mm-hmm. She took years to develop that influenced the current events. Okay, so my number two is pay attention to details. I might have given this before. Sometimes I'm I'm I don't like a lot of detail in my story, but the detail I do give is important. And so, like in Megamind, when you're visual, when things are happening visually, it's it's makes it feel real. Like I was noticing that there are tar lines in the asphalt, you know, on the streets they were fighting on, you know. Mm-hmm. And then also a little bit of trivia that I didn't give earlier: they had a whole crew dedicated solely to the movement of capes. Wow. Yeah, so they were paying attention to detail. They wanted their capes to be realistic, and so they devoted a whole crew to making capes look realistic when they moved. 
Drawing drapery is is actually a thing you do in art class. It's hard. Drawing like just fabric. Like yeah. that's all you do is like do that, and it's really hard. I can so draw that... drapery that's hanging loosely, <laughs> but in the wind. <laughs> but then, I mean, they'll just like pile up some silk, and what does silk look like when it's you know in a pile? How does that hang differently or drape differently than velvet? How, how do you draw velvet. with a pencil differently? Yeah. How do you draw with you know all these other mediums differently? Um, and make them look like they're different, you know, like they're the materials they're made out of. Okay, so my num my third um, trivia, or third, sorry, third takeaway for authors is something that Megamind says, it's a quote, direct quote. He says, there's a benefit to losing, you get to learn from your mistakes. Megamind loses over and over and over, but he has a point. Like, when you are constantly trying and losing, you learn from your mistakes and you become stronger. Like, the authors that have their first book go big, they have no idea how to replicate that, you know? Uh, the one-hit wonder syndrome, because they didn't know what they did in the first place. To get that to much get success. There, and then they spend the rest of their lives trying to duplicate it. Yeah. Um, I had failing. I had a couple friends who, who did super, super well in their first few books. Like one of them quit his job and, and bought a huge house, and he couldn't ever replicate that success because he didn't know how he got it. And so he had to go get a full-time job again, and they ended up downsizing quite a bit. So I'm like, it's better... To be an author who claws their way up than to be an author who has a one-hit wonder. Building momentum. We Building often, momentum. We often talk about Yeah, it's like important to build momentum. Every episode we talk about it. But it's that's because it's important. Yeah, so. exactly. Anyway, so if you have any questions, go ahead and send me an email at andrea at selfpublishedstrong.com. And I actually just hooked that up to my regular author email. So I actually can see when emails come. <laughs> if you have any questions for me, you can email her and say it's for me. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see, what else do we have going on right now? Any business type, type stuff? Um, I got to email the book covers to, to, <laughs> to Tristan finally because um, <laughs> we moved and then everything fell apart and my computer didn't want to work. I switch out a bunch of parts or things happened to it. It was sad. Yes. Um, so that's mostly but not completely working now, but well enough to fix some things. Yeah, and I, I just bought a computer from Joshua, who is joining us for the Jurassic Park 3 discussion. He is our audiovisual guy. Thank you, Josh. And, oh, and actually something that we haven't ever mentioned, our, the theme music for our show is from Kevin McLeod, or M, it's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. McLeod. Are you sure that's McLeod? Yeah. L-E-O-D, loud? McLeod, yeah. Oh. Anyway, so he writes awesome, awesome royalty-free music, and I've used him quite a few times, and I recommend you go and check out his website. It's like Incomptech, I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-C-P-E-T-C-H.com. <laughs> and again, go check us out on patreon.com forward slash self-published strong, and uh, come join my BookBub promotions and more group. And if you have any questions on marketing and things like that that we can answer in one of our future marketing episodes... Support us on Patreon and get your questions over to us. And I think that's it for this episode. Yep. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.